Welcome to this week's podcast of ideas with me, David Bowden. The Battle of Ideas Satellites events continued this week in the run-up to the festival itself on the 17th to 18th of October. On Wednesday 30th of September, we held a panel event entitled Is Britain Full? at the House of St Barnabas in London. The panel features Tom Chance, the housing spokesman for the Green Party of England and Wales, John Ellidge, City Metric Editor of the New Statesman, David Goodhart from Demis's Integration Hub, Phoebe Griffith, Associate Director for Migration, Integration and Communities at the IPPR, Alp Mehmet, the Vice Chairman of Migration Watch UK, and the architect and satirist, Carl Sharon. I'm not going to spend too long introducing the topic. It's a fairly self-explanatory uh, title. I think it's probably just worth noting that I originally conceived of this discussion sort of back in, in May, I think it was, and it was kind of interesting the context of that time as it just emerged from a, a sort of general election where there was a, a lot of the major parties were competing over who could limit immigration the most. Um, and there was a lot of discussion about limits within society. There was a lot of sort of focus on we had a very strained economy, and there was a kind of stress on services, um, on housing, uh, on transport, anywhere that you looked. But there was very little discussion about the actual infrastructure and the development. So I initially thought it would be a good way to try and go beyond the kind of familiar discussion around immigration to really look at the overall heart of the debate, so the kind of question about the anxiety around population. There was a lot of anxiety when it announced that the UK population was rising much quicker than it was. Now, obviously, inevitably, events have overtaken things. It's hard to, to believe how much the discussion around immigration seems to have shifted in the last couple of weeks due to a, uh, the refugee crisis. Even though the refugee crisis was going on while I was writing the blurb in May, it was not discussed in quite the same way. So inevitably that is something that will be discussed this evening. Um, but also really I have briefed my speakers actually to, uh, to, to really go to the heart of the discussion, to look at the kind of question of what is the kind of capacity of the UK? What is the actual assumptions that we are predicating everything around growing population, whether they be immigrants or home-born, as it were? What is the kind of real heart of that? And, um, and I think it probably just makes sense to go in alphabetical order. Um, so I think that's uh, Tom, if you would like to start us off. Okay, thank you very much. Um, if you can't hear me, I'm going to struggle a bit this evening because I've had a cold and my voice is disappearing, so I might just go silent by the end of this evening. There's no question that globally population is a major issue that we ought to think about. How you apply it to the UK requires a bit of sophistication, and I think there's a tendency to narrow it down to just very one-dimensional debates. I just want to throw in a few issues. I mean, there are many others we can maybe get into with agriculture, food security, integration, and so on. I just want to address three things, which is housing, transport, and wildlife within the UK. So the first question, is Britain full? I mean, obviously not. Um, there's plenty of scope for building more housing in the UK, and the principal failure has been on government to build housing, to imagine that big developers are going to build the homes that we need, which they have no incentive to do, and to withdraw from direct in, uh, intervention through building council housing and reducing the grant given to housing associations to build other forms of social housing. There's no problem with building the homes for the population that, we, that we've had in the UK that we have now or as it is growing. But there is a question of where you put it and how you de develop it. On transport, London's quite interesting because in the last decade, London grew by about a million people and yet traffic fell. 
And it fell because of green transport policies, because we had the congestion charge. We had massive investment in the bus network and in public transport. We had reallocation of road space away from private vehicles towards buses, towards pedestrians, and a lesser extent towards cyclists. And so you can have many more people in a city or in a town and have fewer problems, less congestion on the network by just having a much more intelligent transport policy. And we have very unintelligent transport policy in the UK with the government and now a mayor in London and many other city administrations who just don't understand this. And we can look to continental Europe for inspiration and to other parts of the world where they make far more efficient use of the space. But the transport network does also dictate that if we're going to have more people being born in the UK or migrating to the UK, then we need to develop in a different way. We can't have large, sprawl suburbs which are car-dependent because they quickly become congested and they contribute to congestion in towns and cities. And very often, city centres are congested because of people driving from the car-dependent suburbs into the centre. We also have to think about rail and other public transport capacity. It's not easy to add massive capacity from the suburbs into the centre of a town. It's much easier to reallocate road space to buses and bikes for people living closer to the centre of, of the settlements. So when you add those two dimensions together, you start to realise there's a need to have a bit more sophistication about whether a city is full or whether a country is full. Finally, on wildlife, the UK has seen an absolutely cataclysmic loss of biodiversity and wildlife in the past century, much like the rest of the world, driven by human expansion and overconsumption of natural resources and the destruction of habitats through things like industrialised agriculture and, to a lesser extent, property development. So our population does have an impact on wildlife, and we should be worried, both because that has an immediate impact on ecosystem services, as they're called, which support us. If you don't have areas to soak up flood water, you get great big floods, and if you try to ignore that, as we have in Somerset, you have devastating impacts on people. Also because nature has inherent value, and the Green Party believes that we should value nature and other species for their own uh, value in their own right. And it's not, again, necessary that development does that. You can develop in a more dense way. You can avoid wildlife-rich sites. You can integrate wildlife into our urban form, as has happened in some very good projects in, around the UK and Europe. Uh, but we ought to be a bit concerned about the, the total level of development. And then how you distribute the population within the UK or Europe is a, a question of equitable development, and that's a whole other area I could get into later. But those, I think, are three dimensions we ought to be mindful of when thinking not whether Britain is full, but how we accommodate people in Britain. OK. John. Um, thank you. As David said, I write largely about cities, um, so I'm going to be sort of coming at this from sort of an urbanist perspective. Firstly, is Britain full? Well, there's not really any such thing as full. If you look at some of the most successful, some of the richest, some of the happiest societies in the world, they're more densely populated than Britain is now. If you look at the Netherlands or you look at um, city-states like Singapore... Um, so I'd start by questioning the entire uh, premise of the question. Secondly, even if there were some theoretical limits, we're not anywhere near it. London is actually remarkably undense as cities go, not just compared to places like New York or Hong Kong, but even if you compare it to uh, other European cities like Paris or Vienna, where everything is six, seven storeys, London has a much, much lower population density, and London is by far the most densely populated bit of the UK it's really not difficult to get more people in here. And that's leaving aside the fact that the, the sheer amount of this country that's getting over to Greenbelts. 
much of which are not areas of outstanding natural beauty. They're chemically contaminated farmland or it's golf courses. More of Surrey is given over to golf courses than is given over to human habitation. This is not a country that is full. Thirdly, even if we were, I don't think we can do anything about the way population is growing. Politicians like to pretend they have full control over our borders or that their opponents should have full control over our borders and it's just a failure on their part that means that the immigration is still rising. Um, I just don't buy it. I just think we're living in a globalised world, we want an open economy. We, with the amount of people coming here on business or on holiday, I just don't buy the argument you can just bring the shutters down. That's leaving aside the fact we're at the tail end of, of the biggest baby boom since the baby boom. The population is going to grow whether you like it or not, so we really just need to be building the, the homes and the infrastructure we need to, to actually house these people. <coughs> Lastly, even if we could stop it, I don't think that we should. I think that if you look around the world, it's the countries that nobody wants to go to are the ones that have got real problems. The fact that so many people would quite like to come and live in Britain is a sign of our success, both economically and culturally. The fact we've got ourselves into a situation where we're talking as if this is a terrible thing for the country, rather than a sign of the fact this is one of the happiest and most successful societies in the world, says something about where we've gone wrong in the last 30 years, I feel. Thank you. Great. David. Mm. Thank you. I, I mean, I, I agree with some of that, but I think it is also possible for society to change too fast and lose many of the qualities that they have. So I don't think it's really a matter of, um, of whether we're too full or not. It's a matter of whether British society has changed too fast for most people's comfort. And I think we are close to that position. We have um, a huge amount of, uh, of legal immigration, leave aside illegal immigration. And uh, societies are not just labour markets. I mean, even if it was true that large-scale immigration was economically beneficial to most people in Britain, which I don't think it is. Um, rather, it's economically regressive. It tends to benefit uh, better off people, employers, and um, disadvantages people in the middle and lower ends of the income spectrum. Um, but what um, discombobulates people most, I think, or, or certainly many people and particular and people at particular points in the life cycle you might say not necessarily you know people in their 20s and 30s who are living in um uh, you know living in hoxton or whatever but people who have young families people when they're very young people when they're when they're old do want a degree of stability and continuity and familiarity I and mean, that is um a good society is partly based on long-established habits of cooperation I and mean, that is why we're a successful society you know, natural resources may have played a small role back in the Industrial Revolution, but we're mainly a successful society because of habits of trust and cooperation and a history and uh, a liberal democratic <coughs> inheritance. Um, and it will change too fast, that will certainly be jeopardised. Um, as I say, societies are not just labour markets, uh, they're not just random collections of individuals and you can just you know, drop uh, you know, another million people into a city and nothing will change, things will change a lot. And I think in relation to the refugee crisis, that hasn't been mentioned yet, apart from my day, I mean, I think one's approach to the refugee crisis you know, tends to reflect one's general approach to the immigration question. I think what's happened there is that essentially Europe's bluff has been called. We've spent the last 30 or 40 years devising broader and broader definitions of people who can come here and claim uh, asylum. Uh, indeed, that in, in 2004, that was extended to anyone suffering serious harm as a result of, of international or internal conflict. 
essentially means anybody in a conflict zone can come and claim asylum. That is potentially hundreds of millions of people. Um, there are 60 million, currently there are 60 million um, displaced persons in the world. Clearly, uh, neither Britain nor Europe as a whole can accommodate them, so we have to make choices. And I think we are not, uh, uh, certainly Angela Merkel has not behaved sensibly about this. I think she's exacerbated an already difficult situation. Uh, the reason why people are, are, are now coming, the reason why our bluff has been called, is because the, at least the informal borders, the official borders may still be closed. The informal borders of uh, parts of southern and eastern Europe have suddenly fallen flat and open, and uh, a large number of people, <coughs> encouraged by Angela Merkel, have, have, have piled through. Uh, these are not necessarily always the people in greatest need. Uh, we've created a scrum on our, our borders where there's a kind of survival of the fittest. I mean, the, you know, child, one child still dies of malaria every minute in the world. Um, Maybe that our priorities ought to be in that direction rather than uh, a Syrian engineer who doesn't like living in a camp. I can quite understand that. If I was a Syrian engineer, I would try and get to Germany or Britain too. But I think we should think more sensibly and long-term about it. The government's got the balance about right. We should be trying to make those temporary uh, refugee camps much more livable in we should also make a point that Paul Collier makes, we should also make it possible for people to work in those camps. Well, obviously, that, that, the, the, the countries they're in, in Turkey and Lebanon and Jordan, uh, need to agree to that. I mean, they can be bribed to agree to that. The places need to be thriving small towns and cities until the underlying problem of the Syrian civil war is sorted out. Okay, great. Thank you. Phoebe. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, I think uh, I'm going to sort of try and burst our kind of congested London bubble um, and uh, really kind of uh, put out uh, the fact that um, actually our, the demographic of uh, picture of the, the UK is very, very mixed. Parts of uh, Northern England uh, and uh, Wales are actually facing high levels of depopulation. On the other hand, uh, parts of the Midlands have actually seen very, very rapid population growth and a, an increase in population churn. The southeast, the southeast is one of the most rapidly growing parts of, of Europe, if not the world. Uh, Ageing is also happening at, at very different rates across the country. Uh, there's some real pressures on uh, parts of the northeast, for example. Uh, and meanwhile, we also have some of the youngest parts of uh, Europe in, in London. So I guess um, the, point I'm, the point I'm sort of want to uh, emphasise is that we need to think a little bit more... We need to be a, a bit smarter about this challenge and about sort of thinking about, of ourselves as a sort of full country. Germany actually holds... A, you know, I, I, I think we, sort of, we are looking at Germany and sort of contrasting the way that they are approaching the refugee crisis. But they are approaching migration very differently to what we're doing and, in fact, being quite smart in the way that they're trying to, for example, uh, locate refugees, trying to incentivize them to go to parts of Germany where there are significant labor shortages, for example, being a bit more hands-on about uh, where people settle and where they should go and live and work. Uh, in the U.S., there are also countless examples of cities that are being very proactive about attracting uh, migrants, not least in the Rust Belt, where places like Dayton, Ohio, have actually come out and sort of said, uh, been very, very much in favour of more immigration and very proactive about attracting migrants to, to, to the city. So I think we need a sort of much more nuanced analysis of what's happening to us as a country demographically. I think we do need to think about what uh, local leadership can do around, uh, around this question, ultimately ensure that 
parts of the UK that are um, facing considerable stress uh, do have the means of uh, seeking compensa compensation for that stress. And uh, again, the, the government has hinted that it will be setting up some kind of fund which local authorities and others can access in order to ease some of those populations. I think that's a much better way of going about this challenge than sort of just saying, just announcing that we're full and therefore the borders are, are, are closed. Great. Um, great pleasure to be here, um, particularly in this particular location, um, I feel as if I ought to start with a prayer looking at the audience, but um, St Barnabas was actually a Cypriot. He was born um, a Jew uh, who converted to, to Christianity. I'm a first generation immigrant. I was born in Cyprus. Admittedly not quite the same religion, but nevertheless, uh, there is that connection. Of course immigration is something that we should embrace, something that we, uh, we need. Of course we do. Not just skills, but it's part of our life, and long may it remain so. What we're really talking about is what are the limits? Um, John said, let them all come in. I know there are others in this room who say, have no controls at all. Frankly, if you want to do that, an example of what might happen happened in Germany, in Hungary, um, elsewhere, in the EU only a few weeks ago. We can't simply brush aside the fact that, uh, that our population is now growing at the fastest rate for 90 years. That growth is being driven by immigration. We look at our schools and two-fifths of our schools are uh, next year going to have a shortage of places. In two, 2018, it's going to be three-fifths of our schools having a shortage of places. We need 240,000 houses to build each year. At the moment, over the last 10 years, we've been build, building an average of 175,000. These things matter to ordinary people. We mustn't forget that there are people already here, and I'm not just talking about white Anglo-Saxon Brits, I'm talking about all those here, and we do have a responsibility to ensure that what we do is in their interests as well. I'm concerned about integration, and this plays into that. Frankly, um, if we have an open-doors policy of the sort that we've almost got at the moment, integration is going to become very, very difficult, I tell you. I want immigration, I just want it at a manageable level. A colleague of Phoebe's, um, Tim Finch, once said, and, and he's not exactly on my side of the house, um, he said, just because immigration is a good thing doesn't mean to say that more of it is better. That's where I stand. And Carl, um, never mind Britain being... Uh, Full. I think this podium is quite full. I've hardly got any space to move here. I'm going to start with what my principle is. I'm going to put it uh, out there on the table. I'm unabashedly, unashamedly uh, for the freedom of movement and for open borders. And I think uh, it's the right principle to support because it's about human solidarity. It's about a dynamic world. It's about uh, the type of uh, environment and future that I want for all humanity to have and these are not just platitudes. These are very meaningful principles that will make all our lives better. Uh, but we cannot be dismissive of the challenges 
that we face if we're going to support uh, policies like open borders and uh, freedom of movement. Um, I'm going to kind of make two points about that. One is we will never be able to win this argument, and I realize many over here don't want me to win that argument. <laughs> if we don't, if we want to win the argument for immigration, we have to defeat the idea that humanity itself is a bad thing, that population growth is a bad thing. And unfortunately, for too long now, these ideas have been popularized, and we have policies that constantly bombard us with the idea that population growth is a bad thing. So there's a kind of section of uh, progressive uh, uh, people who believe in progressive politics who say uh, uh, population growth is bad, but it's fine to have you know, the most needy and the most desperate, and I think that's a very cowardly position. In fact, we should be open to everyone because that only can enrich us, but we won't win that argument without defeating that pernicious idea that more people means a bad thing. What we have here is a failure of the social imagination. It's not the problem that we have reached the limits. We have imposed mental limits on our capacity to grow and develop the world and this country to fit more people. I'll give you one example from a television series, probably the greatest ever documentary made, The Ascent of Man. And uh, in it, Jacob Bronowski basically makes this uh, statement right at the beginning that the continent of Africa, right at the beginning of our human era, could support at max 10,000 people. Today, it supports more than a billion people and can support many more. Nothing physically changed in Africa in terms of the natural context. What's changed is the ability of humans to make more out of it. So transfer that example onto Britain now, and we're panicking about the 60, 70 million figure. If we only increase the density to the level of Holland, we can have 80 million people in this country. And Holland by, by, is by no means an overcrowded uh, country. I mean, you just drive around it, fly over it in plane, and you see how much potential is there. But those kind of arguments, much like saying, depending on how you count it, there's only between 3 and 10% of this country is actually built upon, 40% in farming, a lot of woodlands. That on its own, just stating that fact, doesn't win the argument. What wins the argument is saying, how can we actually make the most of that environment? We have one solution over here, which is to cram everyone in cities. And to me, that's just a return to the slums of the 19th century. And this is what's actively been promoted. The only vision that we can think of for development in this country is just cramming people into inner cities to preserve a kind of mythical nature that actually is probably mostly golf courses and derelict <laughs> farming land, not any kind of precious ecological setting. So what I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting is we need a mentality shift. We need to be much more creative and brave and bold in recreating our cities and in development and to see an opportunity in places like the, the Green Belt towards developing. What's wrong with building cities from scratch? What's this obsession with cramming everyone in London? We need to be very imaginative because uh, uh, aside from the fact that we've kind of shifted this discussion a lot about immigration, there is natural population growth. And let's not be petty and mean-spirited about it, but be ambitious and look at it as an opportunity. And to sum it all up, to me, the principle is always the more the merrier. So let's have more.